And good morning to you too. Um, if there's a K through six who would like to go and join the uh, children's program, it'd be a, a perfect time to do that. Um, if not, um, just stay here. You, you realize how valuable your seats are, so you might want to hold out for a little bit of that. You know, as I was preparing this message for today, I couldn't help but uh, be reminded of one of my all-time favorite um, uh, stories and, it's, uh, and, and how appropriate it is for this occasion. And if someone says to me, you've told this before, I've never told it here before. <laughs> but the story is told of the uh, Texas multimillionaire who was, uh, he had a daughter of marriageable age and he was concerned about finding her the right mate. And so he did everything that he could to try to find someone for his daughter. So he invited 50 of the most eligible bachelors across the country to his estate in Texas. And he brought them to the home and they were in the house for, throughout the course of the, uh, of the day and into the evening. And he invited them all out to the backyard where he had an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And he had them all stand on one end of the pool. And in the swimming pool, he introduced uh, some rather interesting critters, uh, water moccasins and some alligators and things like that. And as they were all standing there looking into the pool, trying to figure out what he was doing, he said, listen, I've got an offer to the first man who swims from that end of the pool to the other. I'll give you a choice of three things. One, a million dollars in cash. Two, 1,000 acres of my best oil producing property. Or three, the hand of my daughter in marriage. As soon as he laid out the ultimate, boom, he heard a splash. And sure enough, out of the other end of the pool jumps a guy just shaking like a leaf. And he ran over and he's like, man, this is exciting. What do you want, son? You want the one million dollars? And he goes, no, 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 sir. I don't, I don't want the money. He said, well, do you want the land? Do you want the thousand acres? He goes, no, no, no I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want the land either. He goes, well, that's great. You must want the daughter of my hand, my, the hand of my daughter in marriage, or the daughter of my hand here in my hand in marriage. And he goes, no, 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 sir, I, I, don't, I don't want her either. He goes, well, what do you want? You don't want the money. You don't want the land. You don't want my daughter. What is it, son? What is it that you want? He goes, I, I sure like the, the name of the dude who pushed me in the swimming pool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, 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 and I thought of that as I was preparing this morning. And uh, I, I have become convinced that uh, it was God who, I, I can't put pushed, but gently nudged me and all of us into the pool. You know, and the reason is so that we can see firsthand what God can accomplish through the lives of His people who are willing, albeit at times reluctantly, to, use by God, be, to be used by God for His purposes and for His glory. I've had some interesting conversations with many of you, and uh, one conversation in particular I want to share at this time was a gal said, Chuck, you know, we've known you for 20 years, and throughout the, the course of our, our, our relationship together, you've always said that, you know, you didn't sense God leading you to be a pastor. And I said, that's true. And the reason that I said that was that we, well, I was teaching a Bible study. I love teaching the Word of God. And there was never a design, there was never an agenda, there was never some goal downstream to take a Bible study and to use it to plant a church. So when people would come to me and say, you know, like, what are you up to? I never really understood that. Because I'm like, I'm not up to anything. I just love teaching the Word of God. But, you know, if anyone's up to something, it's, it, it must be God. Because, yeah, God took us from one room to another room to another room to another room to where someone said, and then, of all things, they put you in a really big room. And God filled that too. 
And it became apparent to us and to me that God has great plans for all of us. And so that was then, and this is now. And you can never say no to God. You can never say no to God. You can, but you're not going to win. <laughs> so here we are today, and today is the birth of a new church, a new ministry. For some, it's been a long and difficult pregnancy with many complications. Uh, for others, you didn't even know we were expecting, did you? <laughs> so, yet yeah, no doubt, all of you have come today with certain questions and expectations. And, you know, there are many ideas and opinions as to what constitutes a church. You know, what a church should look like, how one should act. And you know what? I'm very grateful uh, for the clarity that's found in God's Word. And that's where we'll turn to learn what God says makes up the ideal church. And if you'll notice in your bulletin, we've got a place for those who like to take notes or follow along. Or uh, if you're me and uh, you're here and, you know, this church thing isn't really your thing, um, then you'll be able to follow through and have a good idea how soon you'll be able to get out of here. Uh, so it's kind of like when our kids were in piano recitals and stuff, man, we'd just be going down through that thing going. And there was nothing worse than your kid being first and 30 more people coming afterwards and having your wife say, no, we can't leave now. So but the ideal church is laid out for us in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, if you'll turn there, we'll find three descriptions of the ideal church as laid out in this particular passage. In Acts chapter 2, we'll pick it up at verse 41 where we read these words. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continually with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. In this passage, we're going to look at uh, three di dimensions of the ideal church, that this church was a unified church, it was a magnified church, and it was a church that multiplied. And today we'll just look at what it means to be a, a unified church as it relates to this particular passage. The epistles of the New Testament, you know, they shape the doctrine for the life of the church. And as you go through and you look at the epistles in the book of Acts, you find that in the early church history, this passage describes the ideal church and gives us a clear blueprint, one that we should follow. If there's ever been you know, a time when we need a time out, it's today. Because I believe that many churches and the church in general has lost its way. It is no longer the lighthouse that God had designed for her to be in a, in a world filled with darkness. And we need to get back to basics. And that's what we're going to do. Just take a time out to look at this blueprint and to see how God would want our church to conduct herself in this particular culture and at this particular time. So those three distinguishable things. Number one, they were a united or a unified church. And it's centered on five things. First of all, if you'll notice in verse 42, it says, And they were continually devoting themselves. When you look at that, you have to ask the question, who they were. 
Who are these people that were continually devoting themselves to what we're going to be discussing? And the answers given to us previous to that, they were those who were heard. Look in verse 37. They were those who had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were pierced to their heart. They were convicted by the message that they were sinful people separated from God. That God loved them anyway and sent Jesus Christ into the world, the Savior of the world. That whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. They were the people that heard that message and realized that they were guilty as charged before God. You know, it's a message that people don't want to hear today. They want to hear that we're all okay, but God says, no, we're not. The closer that we draw to perfection, the more readily we see all of our flaws. I deal with athletes all the time, and it's interesting how an athlete in a minor league baseball team, double A AA or triple A, think they're, you know, they're all that and some more. And then they get into a major room locker room, and they start to walk through, and they begin to realize, you know what? I shouldn't even be here. How soon is it going to be before they find out? And then even guys that have been there for a long time, they're excellent at what they do, they still walk into another room and they go, oh man, there's, there's Roger Clemens. You know, and it's like, wow, there's you know, it's Eddie Murray. You know, and they're going through and they're going, I, I, I'm sitting next to and I'm dressing next to someone who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And as we get closer to perfection, we begin to see all of our flaws. As we draw close to a holy God, we begin to see we're as guilty as He charges that none of us are righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who were they that were added to the numbers? They were the ones who heard that they were sinners and heard the remedy that God had provided, that God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And they turn from sin, repent, and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he said to that question. In verse 38, he said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who had come to a genuine faith relationship, by grace were saved through, through faith. Those who believed that Jesus died for them personally, that he rose again from the dead, that he's exalted into heaven and he'll come from there one day to judge the living and the dead. Those who received him as Savior, the Bible says that God added to his family that one person. And in this particular day, 3,000 people of those who heard the message responded. If we receive him, the Bible tells us that we become children of God to those who believe in his name. They were those folks who responded positively to the gift of salvation that was offered that day. And they were added to those numbers. And the first thing that I want to point out to you is that the church is a place for those who have come to faith in Christ and have been saved from the wrath and the judgment of God. The church is for those who are saved. And if you're following an outline, that's the word we'll use. Those who are saved. It's important that we recognize and understand that those who were saved continued on in their faith. You know, as we went through with some of you who were there and we went through the book of 2 Timothy, turn with me to 2 Timothy as we're reminded of the fact that those who have come to genuine faith in Christ will continue on. That he who began a good work in us, the day will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul reminds us that here was a man who was saved from the judgment and the condemnation of God. 
as he was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, he came face to face with Jesus Christ and received him as his Savior. That day he was saved, and God continued to do a good work in him and continued to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's why Paul, as he was facing his impending death, could write, inspired by the Spirit of God with boldness, I solemnly charge you in verse 1 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, they, who we talk about back in Acts chapter 2, were those members of the ideal church, despite the hate, the ridicule, the persecution that they suffered, they remained faithful to Jesus Christ. That the church should be composed of saved individuals sounds like I'm you know, stating the obvious, but it really is not. Because there are many churches today that are made up for the most part of unsaved people. In fact, some churches are even designed to make non-Christians feel comfortable at their worship service. You know, this cannot be the goal in a church that is devoted to proclaiming the full counsel of God. It cannot be the goal in a church committed to holiness and righteousness in every area of life. You know, it, can't be the, it cannot be our goal. Because if that is our goal, we'll become popular with sinners And the message that God has to share is an unpopular message for those who do not know Him to hear. You know, obviously, we want to welcome anyone who will come. We want to encourage people to come. We want them to hear our praise and our worship for our Savior. We want them to see the joy and the spontaneity that comes with knowing that we've been called from darkness and brought into light that we were once blind and now we can see, that we were once dead in our sins and now we're alive to God. We want people to hear our praise and worship. We want them to hear and be exposed to the truthfulness of the Word of God because it's the Word of God that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We want people to be exposed to that. We want them to see that we share with one another in fellowship and we're here and available to bear one another's burdens and to be a part of one another's lives. We want to see that we are generous and gracious in our giving so that God can use the resources that He's given to us to begin with to give back to Him for His purposes and for His glory. We want people to see that. But we want them, as they see that, to become so uncomfortable in their sinfulness that they will be attracted to our Savior. I can remember vividly, 26 years ago, the first time that Linda and I visited a, quote, non-denominational Bible-teaching church. And I couldn't help but notice how different the people were. I couldn't help but notice how excited they were to be there. 
And my church experience was, I'm going, I have to go. If I don't go, I'm going to hell. You know, and, you know, and it was kind of like, and then sitting there going, is it almost over yet? And some of you are going, we're only on point one. <laughs> but to see how excited people were. To see people that would open their Bibles, you know, and to see people that had like notes and, and things all through their Bibles. And, and when, the, when the pastor started to talk about turn to this passage, they knew where to go. They knew it. And I'm looking, is it alphabetical order? How does this thing work? You know, it's kind of like, how, what, what, you know, what page you on? You know, and, and that didn't work. And it was kind of like, and just sitting there. And it was really bad because we didn't have a Bible. So we want to make sure that when people come, we provide Bibles for them so that they can become familiar with the words of God, the truth of God, because it's the truth of God coupled with the Holy Spirit of God that penetrate our hearts. See, I remember them passing the basket and people were like, they're excited. And I'd be like, my experience passing the basket was, it was like, you know, when a teacher would ask a question in a classroom and you put your head down and start checking out your shoe condition. Oh, basket, basket, yeah, okay, here we go, yeah, here we go. And, you know, and it was like, man, you know, and, and we're, we're not going to pass a basket. We've got a box at the back, and you want to give? Give, and give from, from just the, the liberality, the, the, uh, the, the volunteer, as God leads you to do it. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, we saw something different. And then when, when they were done, they hung around and they talked to each other like they actually knew each other, they liked each other, they wanted to be a part of one another's lives. And they were asking questions about their children and their families and their business and their finances and how things were going and who they could be praying for and how the, the health of someone was. And, and, you know, and it's like, man, my church experience was, man, as soon as that hit that time, it was like, hey, let's go, we'll sit in the back, we'll beat everybody out in the parking lot, we park strategically, so we're out of here, we did our duty, we're gone, and it's kickoff time <laughs> and, and then it's it's so but it's so different when the church is filled with people who have come to faith in christ they can't wait to get together they can't wait to praise their savior they can't wait to hear from the word of god they can't wait to be part of the fellowship and you know what and that's the model for our church That the church should be made of saved people is very clear. As Paul writes to the Thessalonians, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Got five T's, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. If you can find one, you got, you're in good territory, you'll find the others. But as Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father... And the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, those who are in God and in Christ Jesus. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. He's writing to those who are in Christ. They gathered together and were added to the numbers of that local church because they had one thing in common. They were, they were those who had been graciously touched by the mercy of God and knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. You, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. Those who are in Christ, knowing, brother, beloved by God, his choice of you. 
For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among, uh, among you for your sake. You also became, here we go, imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Notice in verse 9, he says that you turned to God from idols to serve a living and a true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We have got to be very careful that those who would join us and yet have never repented of sin and trusted in Christ, that there is always such a difference in our life that they recognize there's something missing in theirs. We have got to be very careful that we never allow those who have not come to genuine faith in Christ to ever become a member of this church so that they would confuse membership in a church for an entry fee into the kingdom of God. We have got to be careful that we do not give anyone a false sense of security if they have never come to know Jesus as their Savior. But we must always welcome people. We must love people. We must invite and introduce people to those of us who can share the gospel in a very clear manner so that they would be attracted to our Savior. But we gather together as men and women who have come to taste the goodness and kindness of God to praise His holy name and to worship together. That is the model for our church. That will be the model for our church. So help me God. The second thing, as we go back to Acts chapter 2, is that the church is to be a scriptural church. You know, if you stop and think about it, you've got 3,000. We think we've got problems. You know, parking problems, seating problems. Some of you are all going, man, you know what? My neck's going to hurt. I'm twisted to the side like this. I'm going to be walking around for a week. And listen, I'm just going to tell you right now. When you're walking around this week and your neck's twisted like that and you got that kink going for you and when someone says, what happened to you? Say, you know what? It was awesome. I, it was awesome. I, I did it at church. And they're going to go like, you did it at church? Yeah, you know what? It was like, we had to sit like this, but you know what? It was awesome. Because God spoke to me. And, and you know what? Why don't you come? Because next week I'm going to sit on the other side <laughs> to balance it out. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than trying to share with someone when we're miserable people. When we are baptized in vinegar and we're walking around going, I can't go golfing with you on Sunday because I got to go to church. They're just praising God that they don't have to go to church. But when someone says, you know what, man, you know what, I'd rather go to church than play golf. Maybe we can go golfing on Saturday another day of the week because, man, I don't want to miss what God has for me this week. I'm telling you right now, that's attractive. When we walked out of that church the first time, I remember distinctly walking out saying, what, what's that, what is it born again? What does that mean to be born again? Now that's as close as anyone's ever going to come to, you know, what must I do to be saved? 
the people that were with us, they didn't invite us, were like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> Born again. But I, I walked away because that's what, you know, a pastor opened the Bible and that's what he preached on. What it means to be born again. I'm walking out going, born again? What is that? I never heard of that, born again. I heard of that born again Jesus stuff and all that. But what's that mean, be born again? It was awesome. And we had a great conversation. Why? Because the man in the pulpit was committed to teaching and preaching the Word of God. He wasn't worried about whether someone visiting today would be offended by the truth of God's Word. So he didn't dumb down his congregation to the lowest common denominator. He kept the bar high. Because that's what we're here to do. And that's why we're a scriptural church. Notice, they con- continued to vote, they continually devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching. Continually, a never ending process, steadfast, determined. They never got enough. Can you ever get enough of the Word of God? I mean, think about it. The Word of God reveals the mind of God. Who do we think we are that will ever begin to grasp God in all of His fullness? It just amazes me that people go, you know what, we should, you know, people don't want to hear the Word of God. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And we'll never buy into that. As long as I've got the right people around me and you listening hold me accountable to make sure that I'm always preaching the Word of God. We are a scriptural church. We are here to preach the Word of God. The full counsel of God. God designed His church to be a place where His Word, the Bible, is continually proclaimed and explained. Starting here in this pulpit and extending to every area of ministry, the focal point of our church will be on the Word of God. It will be on God's truth. Whether in the men's ministry, the women's ministry, the children's program, and even the lyrics of our worship songs will be true to the context of Scripture. Every ministry will revolve around the truth of God's Word. It used to break my heart when I would hear kids go to a junior high school or a high school program or whatever, and I'd say, what did you learn today? I'd say, well, we didn't learn anything. You know, we sang and we hung around and we talked and we visited. No, what did you learn about God from His Word today? We had fun. That's That's not what I'm asking. What did you learn? Nothing. Well, when are you going to learn it? Who's going to teach it to you? If God's servants, ministers of His Word, don't minister His Word, who's going to do it? We have to be people who are committed to the Word of God. Because otherwise, we just become a social institution. Like any other club or any other organization. The difference between the church and every other institution is that the church is the guardian the trustee of God's precious truth. And we are to make sure that we are diligent to proclaim it in its full counsel. See, it's a recurrent theme throughout Scripture that the church is to preach Christ and Him crucified. Paul, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. Think about it. 3,000 babies in Christ showing up at the first church service. And I'll tell you what, that's 3,000 opportunities. And you know what? 3,000 bundles of joy. 
and 3,000 tons of dirty diapers. Because <laughs> they present both. A great blessing and opportunity, brilliantly disguised as an impossible situation. We've got friends that play in the angels, they have triplets. I know, see, some of you know. You go, <laughs> you know, and anybody that doesn't have them go, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Three, all at once, get all over with. No. Go visit sometime. It's chaotic. And the only way that we can grow in our faith is through the Word of God. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word that so by it it you will grow in respect to salvation. God's chosen nutrition for His people is the Word of God. Like a deer pants for the water's brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. If you want to be successful in life, you're to meditate on the Word of God day and night, being careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then you will have much success. And then you'll be prosperous before God. You know, Paul continued to talk to Timothy and Titus, ministers of the Word of God. And he said, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Prescribe and teach these things until I come. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear from you. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. Continually preach and teach the word of God. Any minister who gets tired of preaching and teaching the Word of God, I would just say, you know, it's probably time for God to take him home. And it's simple, because that's what he's been entrusted to do. If I ever look for an out to not preach, shoot me. Not you. And, and, and who gave you a map to today anyway? Oh, man, you know. We're a scriptural church. You know, and there's benefits from knowing scripture. And sometimes we don't even recognize the benefit until a time in the future. I'll give you an example. An elderly woman had just returned to her home from an evening of church services when she was startled by an intruder. She caught the man in the act of robbing her home of its valuables and yelled, Stop! Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so your sins may be forgiven. We just read that. She said, Stop! Acts 2.38. The burglar stopped in his tracks. The woman calmly called the police, explained what she had done as the officer handcuffed the man and led him out the patrol car. He said, why did you just stand there? All the old lady did was yell a scripture verse to you. He said, a scripture verse? I thought she yelled she had an axe in 238. <laughs> you just never know how God will use the word of God in your life. I saw a sign in the dentist office. I loved it. It said, fight truth decay. Study your Bible daily. Is that great? That is awesome. 
I saw another sign. I love little things like that because that's how I think. <laughs> but it said, it said, show me a man whose Bible is falling apart and I'll show you a man whose life is not. Isn't that great? We're to be scriptural in everything that we do. Our church, therefore, must be a church whose members are saved, born again from above, and who have an appetite and a hunger for the scriptures, which we must be committed to fulfill. We must be committed as a church to feed those who have a hunger for the Word of God. Number three, we're to be a sharing church. Back at Acts chapter 2, look at verse 42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The word fellowship, koinonia, is the first time that this word is found in the New Testament. And every time this word is used, it denotes some kind of sharing. Either sharing something with someone, for example, in 2 Corinthians 8, sharing physical resources, sharing material goods with somebody, or sharing in an experience with someone else. They're great, you know, love each other. All throughout Scripture we see to bear one another's burdens, to uphold one another, to forgive one another, to love one another, to encourage one another. And in fact, Hebrews chapter 10, memorize it, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as we see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The other night we had a leadership meeting and we invited anyone who could make it uh, to be there as part of setting up ministry teams. And as as all these teams broke up, it was amazing how many of you came back and said, you know, everyone in our group, God had given someone in that group a different passion or a different burden. A different passion or a different burden. They saw something I didn't see. We get together, we stimulate one another, we encourage one another, we build one another up for the purpose of serving God, sharing with one another. The purpose of the assembly and the reason that we get together, every believer must be involved in a local assembly. That is God's plan. And the reason for it is that that is where we learn to share with one another the gifts that God has given us to equip one another to build one another up. I, you know, I made a joke the other night about you know, serving or whatever. You know, you know, the gift of helps is huge. This morning we had men and women that were here at 6.30 to set up these chairs and to get everything ready so that when others would come, they would see everything was done. This just didn't happen. It happened because people were willing to share of themselves, to sacrifice. There is nothing convenient about being obedient. It is always inconvenient. But you know what? It's also a sign of those who have come to faith in Christ because we're no longer self-centered, we're God-centered. We're no longer thinking of what's in this for me, but God, what is it that you want to do through me for your purposes and to benefit others? Consider others more important than yourself. Have this attitude in, in, in yourself that was in Christ Jesus who considered others more important than himself. Jesus Christ becoming, taking on the appearance, the likeness of a man to come to the earth to die upon the cross for your sins and for my sins was not convenient. But he endured that pain. He despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. That you and I who would repent from sin and come to the cross would become children of God to those who believe in his name and the power of his resurrection. See, the Christian life is a God-centered life, not a self-centered life. The world we live in is selfish. 
Because the world we live in is condemned and has contempt for God. And all that they ever think about is, but, but what about me? What's in it for me? We need to become people who never ask what's in it for me. But God, what can I do for you? Because how can I ever repay you for what Jesus did for me? You know, it's been said, many folks want to serve God, but only as advisors. And I will just encourage you, as I have been encouraged since I've come to know Christ, that it's time to get off the bench and get in the game and allow God to use you to the fullest capacity and the measure that he desires for his purposes and for his glory because he's God and worthy to be praised. Allow God to use you. It's exciting to see how many of you have already taken that step. How many of you have signed up to help in different areas? You know, and I know that, you know, when I, when I would come and I would hear things like this, I, I would think, there they go, begging for help. You know, we're, we're not begging for help. In fact, we don't want help from anybody that has to be talked into it because God won't bless your efforts. We only want those who God is leading to the edge of the pool and is ready to push in. <laughs> you might as well jump first. Aha, <laughs> beat you. <ya. laughs> you know, but that's what it is. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as a habit of some and encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near where Jesus will return. Number four, we're also to be a church unified in our focus on the sacrifice that our Lord Jesus Christ made on our behalf. To the breaking of bread. To the breaking of bread. The sacrifice that Jesus made. When I'm finished, we're going to celebrate what Jesus did for us this morning. We're to be reminded continually of what Jesus did on the cross. I'll talk more about that in a second, but I just want to encourage you that, you know what? Celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion is not relegated to a certain building, a certain time, or a certain place. With the heart that is right before God, one that is careful to self-examine and to ask God to forgive any sin that's there, we come carefully to the table to recognize what Jesus did on our behalf. We will do that here regularly. But I will encourage you to do it regularly in your life. Whether it's in your small groups, shepherd groups, whether it's in your men's group, women's ministry group, whether it's in uh, you know, children's groups that meet, that, that there are those who truly understand their relationship with Christ. Everywhere, in any time, in any place, it's appropriate with the heart that's right before God to stop and say, Lord, We just want to remember what you did on our behalf. May I never forget the price that you paid on the cross so that I could be freed from sin and enjoy this abundant life that Jesus came to bring. And the last thing is this. We're to be a church of supplications. To be a supplicating church. To be a church that is continually devoted to prayer. Men and women, we are here today because God answers prayer. 
Not just that God provided a facility, which is an answer to prayer, but the fact that we are here today and this church is born is because I have heard from hundreds of you who have said, we have been praying for this day for years. Our leadership group has met for the last five years and we prayed that God would bring about a revival and a renewal. And He has done that today. Today is a result of those prayers. The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man accomplish much. It's been said that prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Isn't that great? That prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of an almighty God. We need to pray. We need to be praying that God would provide a bigger facility for us. Not because we're hung up on numbers, because our goal, my goal, is to build believers and numbers take care of themselves. And we'll talk about that next week. But this is to be a unified church. We're to be people who pray. In closing, we had a Bible study at our home a a few years ago. And there was a man who was there that shared this story that, man, I'll tell you what, I've never been able to forget. We were talking about prayer and the legacy that we can leave with our families. He said his father used to get up, and he was a truck driver, and he used to get up to leave for his route at 4 o'clock in the morning. He said there was one morning that he got up, and he was going to the bathroom, and he saw a light on the kitchen, and it was was just about 3 o'clock in the morning. And as he looked, he was kind of frightened that anyone would be up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And he walked by and he looked in the kitchen and he just saw in the kitchen, he saw his dad kneeling at their kitchen table with a chair in front of him and his Bible before his face. And his dad was praying. Praying for his wife, praying for his children, praying for his co-workers, and praying that God would give him opportunities that day to be the lighthouse that God would want him to be. The lighthouse that shows in a sea of turmoil in the world we live in. The safe harbor that's found by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He said his dad taught him many things. But his dad never taught him anything more powerful than what he taught him that night. And he didn't even know that he was there watching. See, and that's what really our character is all about. It's who we are when we think that nobody else is noticing. Because God sees. As I consider these, I was reminded of the words of Augustine when he said this, In the essentials, we must have unity. These are essentials. We must be saved people who gather together to praise their Savior. We must be a scriptural-based church. Everything we do revolves around the truth of God's word. Let's face it, we all have opinions, and you know what? They really don't matter. It only matters what God has to say. We must be a sharing church, willing to meet the needs of one another, to bear one another's burdens, to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice. We must be a church who continually focuses her attention on the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf at the cross. And we must be a church, a supplicating, praying church that continues to bring our requests and our praise and our needs before the very throne of God. And if we do that, then we'll be pleasing to God. And you know what? 
That's all that matters. We're not here to please one another. We are here to please God. And in so doing, then that will be a benefit that we'll share. Father, thank you for this time to be together. What a great and awesome God that you truly are. Thank you that you're here in our presence, that you've paved the way, that you knew of this day before the foundation of the world. And I just thank you that we are obedient to your calling. Lord, we pray that uh, your words today will penetrate our hearts in such a way that we'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it, to act upon these things, not just to be hearers only, but doers as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we want to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And as the ushers go and prepare the baskets to pass around, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes to the church at Corinth these words, starting with verse 24. It said, And when Jesus had given thanks, he broke it, speaking of the bread. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, In the same way, he took this cup also. And after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. As the uh, elements are passed, I would just encourage you to take a moment and just ask God to point out anything in your life that's not pleasing to Him. You know, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That His mercies are new every morning and that we can come to Him today and ask Him to just cleanse our hearts so that when we remember what He did, we will do so in a manner that's worthy of our calling.
and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, how can we ever thank you? How can we ever thank you for the price that you paid to set us free from sin? Lord, we thank you for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which men can be saved. We just thank you for your gift, the indescribable gift of salvation. says in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, you tell us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so we thank you that, God, you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself. We thank you that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, including every one of us. We thank you for those who have come to faith in Christ. It's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift from you so that none of us could ever boast. You tell us there's no other way, in, there's no other way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but through me. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. For you deserve all the praise and glory. Amen.